Hey everyone, I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And, and we're, we're the, the OK, OK Petunias. So, we are rejoining you all to talk about our favorite sitcom, and I'm sure it's yours too, or else you wouldn't be listening to this show, The Golden Girls. What episode are we talking about today, Aaron? Now we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorites, <laughs> The Actor. <laughs> Such a funny episode. When I need to feel better, or when I'm just feeling down, or when I just want to laugh my ass off... This is the episode I turn to. Yes. Like, it is the pinnacle of comedic achievement in this show. Mm-hmm. Like, it is definitely in my top ten favorite episodes of The Golden Girls. Yes, for me, it's in my top ten favorite episodes of a TV show. It's true. It is truly, truly funny. So what is this episode about? So, uh, the girls decide to show off their talents by uh, participating in community theater. Uh, they'd really get drawn into the idea of trying out for this particular show because their favorite actor, Heartthrob, was is going to be a part of the show. I believe you mean the incandescent Patrick Vaughn. Vaughn. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so once they find out that he's going to be involved, they're like, oh, of course we'll go try out. So we get to go see them try out. Uh, they're all trying out for the leading role or the leading lady role. Uh, of course, none of them gets it to their great disappointment, but they all end up getting a chance to get him. Right, they sure do. <laughs> and then, of course, they start competing with each other to, not not consciously at first, to get Patrick's affections. Because mm-hmm. unbeknownst to them, he's hitch- he has his burrow hitched to every uh, bedpost in town. Exactly. To, to paraphrase a later Lothario mm-hmm. from a later season. So, of course, all of this explodes into the open during the opening night of this play, which is not named, but is, which is a clear allusion to Picnic, which we'll get to that a little later, where they all kind of realize that Patrick's been playing them all mm-hmm. and confront him on stage Age. in front of the audience. during the play. During yes. the play. <laughs> uh, which, of course, leads to all kinds of chaos, and then he gets run out of town. Mm-hmm. And then, of course... I imagine the community theater takes a pretty significant financial hit from this, since clearly they probably won't be able to, like, stage it at all. Yeah. And given, I mean, I I don't know about how much they charge in the community theater in Miami, but they charge quite a lot here in, like, small town Salisbury, mm-hmm. Maryland. So I can't imagine that, you know, it's a cheap ticket. Yeah. So and, I can imagine and, the theater company was quite a... Right. And it's not even an issue of just however many more performances they're going to do. They even say they give everybody their money back. Right. From the show. So yeah. It's a lot a of money. That's a huge hit for a small community. But anyway, we don't need to get into the finances of this, which just occurred to me as I was sitting here. It is undeniably a hilarious episode. Yes. Um, because, you know, as we alluded to last week, you know, things were still kind of raw and unformed in the pilot to mm-hmm. some degree. By this point... They've all got their parts down. They know who they are. The Rose's kind of hard edges have been sanded off. She's now the sort of ditzy, well-meaning, mm, simplistic, simple, naive, even childlike. childlike. <laughs> you know, and they've all they all know where to hit the beats, how to hit the beats. You know, when to say their lines, and exactly the right way to say their lines. Like it all just works perfectly. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Blanche isn't just someone who falls in love easily as she does in the pilot episode she just likes being with a man at this point <laughs> she needs a man <laughs> yes and i mean who wouldn't want the incandescent mr patrick, patrick vaughn yes played played by the delightful lloyd bachner <laughs> we'll talk about him a bit later but boy does he sink his teeth into this role oh it's like there's he has that quasi british mid-atlantic accent mm-hmm. like you know when blanche says oh have you ever been <laughs> Oh, we got to set that up. We 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 can't okay, just so get to that. He comes into the, the the dressing room, and of course they're all falling all over themselves. Oh, you know, and then 
you know, they reference that he's, you know, performing in a part across town, which as it turns it turns out is a tangerine and a fruit commercial, mm-hmm. which leads Blanche to say, oh, have you ever been a fruit before? Mm-hmm. To which he then says, well, no, but having been in the musical theater for 30 years, I've had my fair share of offers. <laughs> so it's like, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I do a pretty good Patrick Vaughn yes, impression. Yes, yes, <laughs> It's just, it is, it is camp. Like, okay. it is camp, but also just just juicy and delicious yes what i love so much about that one uh, as i've always told people like if you're gonna use a slur about me as a gay man please make it fruit because it's my favorite one so (laughs) to our listeners out there if you want to use a slur against me please make it that one (laughs) but what i love about it is that it shows blanche's immediate like conversationalist that he says something about this other part and she immediately thinks, what question can I ask him about the thing that he just said? And we see that that's something that Blanche does in every episode when there's a round. She's really good at doing that sort of thing. Right. And just immediately figuring out how to get you to talk about something when she's dealing with men because she's a shameless flirt who knows how to do that kind of stuff. And of course, men like to talk about themselves. But of course, when she does it, because she's just thinking about how do I get him to say more about this, she says it without any guile, without any sense of what she might be suggesting with those words. She means it so sincerely. Oh, have you ever been a fruit before? <laughs> I mean, lest we take the show to task for being homophobic, I mean, having just watched the Tonys last week, there are a lot of fruits in the theater. So, yes. I mean, like, that's not, he's not making any claim that isn't already true. Yes. And I mean, he's clearly okay. Like, it's not like, he doesn't say it with condescension or disgust. He's just yeah. like, yeah, I've been, you know, clearly been propositioned. <laughs> and if Ed's, you know, testimonial on the stage at the end is any indication, I'm guessing he probably may have had a little dalliance but, with Ed. But no, 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 no. Remember, Ed's a damn liar. <laughs> well, he, of course, he would have to say that. He wants to maintain his, He's already in trouble with People Magazine, and he's in the middle of a messy divorce. Ed, I'm Do just kind of like, I don't know if he had energy for Ed. Remember, he's been with all the women. I don't know if he had energy left for Ed. I'm just saying that any man who's in the theater has probably swung both ways. That's all I'm saying. Wow, I want to go on record saying that there is room for straight men in theater too. You can have a place there too, straight guys. I disagree. But anyway, so I think that it might be helpful to sort of hone in on two of the key moments that I think are most emblematic of this scene, of this episode's success with physical comedy in particular. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just have to say really briefly that, sadly, Sophia only plays a bit part in this yes. episode. I have a feeling Estelle might have been having a cold. Like yeah, she sounds she very congested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, she, she, she does have some very funny lines. Yeah. Like, she has a, ja- a job at Captain Jack's Seafood Shanty. <laughs> Great, yes. A great name for a secret <laughs> Yes. And what I love with the reveal of this, okay, we have to talk about how this episode starts. Sophia comes in with her sort of coat wrapped around her, you know, walking kind of weird. Dorothy sees her go by and is like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> and then so she asks Sophia to take off the coat and she does revealing this ridiculous pirate costume that they got from the dollar store or something like that for the show. It's so cheap, so ridiculous, and so funny for TV. And of course, as soon as Dorothy sees her, of Dorothy being the queen of sarcasm, immediately just looks at her and goes, Ma, did you forget to take your blood pressure medicine again? <laughs> the joke in the wordplay around that costume, they make so much of it. Like, are you, are you ashamed of your mother, Sophia asks? Well, when she's dressed like Vasco da Gama, yes. Like, or... <laughs> You know, when she says that, no, I'm off to discover the Straits Magellan. Yo-ho. Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, not only are those very funny, but they also, like, indicate 
that they know their audience is somewhat learned. Like mm-hmm. you have, I mean, it's not like everybody knows Vasco da Gama. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a name that most people would even recognize as a person. Yeah. Or maybe Magellan, but not so much. Like those are not references that your everyday person might necessarily get. So there is a kind of like higher level to the humor mm-hmm. in the wordplay that I appreciate. And there's also the moment when she introduces herself to Patrick Bond and says, I'm Linda Ronstadt. I'm playing the Pirates of Penzance across town. So, you know, there's a familiarity with theater, too, that I really appreciate. Exactly. And what I love about that, too, is that by this point, we've kind of cemented the idea that Sophia isn't just someone who is sarcastic or just blunt and will say whatever she wants to say she's also the way that i love to describe it is full of shit (laughs) like like she will just lie for comedic effect all the time so of course all of this climaxes when we get to the first scene where they're trying out i cannot tell you how hard i laugh at this scene everything about it let's take it from the top so so why don't you start and then I'll just chime in okay so once we're in on the set that they use for the stage which is a pretty big elaborate set it actually they use it a lot in the episode because if they're going to put that much work and cost into designing a set you're going to use it right so we see them for the tryouts and we see them again on set when they do the actual play so when we start this scene, uh, the ladies are trying out for the lead, leading lady role, and Dorothy is the one currently trying out opposite Patrick for this sort of romantic scene uh, where you know he's asking, the, or Patrick's character is asking, or Biff is the character name. Biff is asking the... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just name? can't <laughs> Josie. Josie to run off with him. And so it, we see Dorothy giving her interpretation of the scene <laughs> opposite Patrick and it's wonderfully bad. Uh, B. Oh. Arthur does such good bad amateur acting <laughs> in the scene it is wonderful. So she leans back like but Biff you're a drifter. I can't just, just pull up takes and run off with you. Like <laughs> she's just so and she's like I want you to take me Biff right here on this <laughs> stage. And then she's like Oh, sorry. That was just an ad lib. What I love so much about it is that when she's doing the role of Josie, she sounds like Dorothy or like B. Arthur doing a very bad acting role. Like, it doesn't deviate from the way that she talks so much that it sounds like someone else. Right. But it very much sounds like her doing a bad job. And that takes so much talent on the part of an actor to pull that off. It's sublime. But let's be real. The highlight of this scene Mm -hmm. is when... Blanche. Yeah, she was yes. wearing a lovely uh, outfit, by the way. It's like mm-hmm. that blue kind of overdress with like the red, red sweater, sweater underneath it, and this kind of floral plant pants. Yeah. it's really nice, fun, casual outfit for a lady of that age at that time. Yeah, so she, you know, she gets up and she's, you know, they call out her name. And she says, "Just, Just a, a moment." moment. Then she turns around. And she is wearing. <laughs> Inflatable boobs, <laughs> yes, which the, are enormous and ridiculous, and defying gravity, floating so high up. <laughs> They're not just champagne-sized orbs of glowing loveliness. Let's mm-hmm. say that, and of course, earning hilarity from the audience. Yes, what I got to say, the the Rue McClanahan was truly a truly, truly talented television and stage actress because she knew how to handle a live audience. The audience loses its effing mind when she reveals these fake bazooms that she's got out under her outfit. They just lose it. So, of course, she can't continue on with the scene until the laughter dies down. So, of course, Blanche just continues to stand there primping herself. She's got her legs. To kill the time while the audience is having its reaction. So she strides over, and of course, Lloyd Bachner deserves a lot of credit for also being a 
bad hammy actor. He's like, mm-hmm. the moon is hanging off low in the sky tonight. Isn't it busty? And of course, what I love about it, they changed the staging so that that joke works. So when uh, Dorothy and... Uh, and Patrick are doing the scene they're kind of facing each other at the beginning of the scene when they start the scene again for for Blanche to do it Blanche is sort of standing in front of Patrick and he's kind of got his arms around her mm-hmm. from behind and so during the thing when he says the moon is hanging off alone sky, the entire time he's saying that like his eyes are dropping down to look at her chest so that when he says isn't it busty he's looking directly at her fake breasts and it's so funny and then Blanche slash Josie goes Mancho, yeah, it sure is beef. And then he says, it makes me want to kiss you. And she says, a mancho man is beef. The whole town, it's the 4th of July picnic. The whole town is <laughs> and here. And when she does that, she takes this moment to break away from his embrace so that she can walk up and kind of start throwing around her chest, drawing ever more attention. <laughs> Which there's so many layers to this moment. So it's worth pointing out that Blanche actually, or not Blanche, Rue actually did act in a TV production of Picnic, upon which this is so transparently an illusion. So she's drawing on that, but of course, Josie, the character she's playing, is very much a Blanche-like character, mm-hmm. over overly large, melodramatic, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also clearly bad acting on Blanche's part too, just because yes. she's hamming it up exactly. so much. She's even arguably a better performance than when she's playing Kate and the Taming of the Shrew yes. subsequently. Exactly. Or in one of the cats. I mean, they're always in community theater. Mm-hmm. And what I love is at this point. Uh, Rue is already given Blanche a more sort of exaggerated southern accent uh-huh. to begin with that then Blanche plays up even more for this the way that she draws her way through this performance is just so funny well as she says well I can't just pull up six and run off with you as she gestures wildly yes <laughs> and then of course the, this all comes to a head whenever Patrick says <laughs> when Josie says I want you to. Yeah, well, we got to get where he asks her. Well, he's like, oh, you know, I got to have your answer now. What's it going to be? Gonna be? And, and she, she says, takes a moment and then goes, I want you to. And she leans back <laughs> and says, to Take me, Biff. Take and me, Biff. And then she goes in for the embrace. into him for an embrace, which, of course, <laughs> pops her bosoms. And Patrick yes. says, Oh, I'm afraid I've popped your bosoms. And then, of course, Blanche responds with, Well, don't worry, Patrick. My backup pack can take a lot more punishment. And that's, again, then that's another great establishing moment for Blanche is that she is unflappable. Right. Like, even in this moment of great <laughs> embarrassment, like, she's standing there. And what I love is the sound design for this. You can hear the hissing from the boobs deflating. It's all so fun. And she's just looking at them going, oh, no, they fall apart. But Blanche being Blanche, she just kind of straightens her hair, <laughs> shakes her head, and is like, I'm fine. I'm going to walk right off with my dignity. So maybe you can explain this to me. I'm not really sure I understand the point of the inflatable boobs. Like, it's not like... He doesn't already know what she looks like. You're right. It's not as if, like, he's going to be deceived into thinking these are real boobs. Mm-hmm. Like, I have so many questions it's about right. why I go through this charade. Why does I, she have a backup pair? I, I, I just don't under. Well, her backup pairs are real breasts. <laughs> but what I don't oh, I didn't get that joke. <laughs> but what I don't understand is why they were so high. And I'm like, and I'm used to when, like, they have guys in drag and things like that on shows like this of having the breasts way too high. Right. But Blanche knows where breasts are. <laughs> so why? Why? Why was she wearing them so high on her body? Blanche knows where breasts are. That That's the line you need to take away. If you take nothing else away from this episode, let that be the thing you take away. 
But of course, all of this is for naught because it, which it's funny also. Before I get to that, that Rose isn't auditioned. Like, exactly. We don't see her audition, yeah. which is really interesting. And, they, I, and I love it because they, I think they understood one, it would make the episode run long, and so, but they decided to break with the rule of three, right? That you, for comedies, and this show often observes that rule, but it breaks it often enough that it doesn't get too predictable. Right. And I thought that that was a very strategic time, where instead of seeing the the, the joke three times, right, we only see it twice. I mean, she does get her moment where she's like, "Mine are real." Exactly. <laughs> of course, all this is for naught because, as it turns out, Phyllis Hamero gets the job. Mm-hmm. Phyllis Hamero, appropriately enough, today is Meryl Streep's birthday, oh, so lovely. it is appropriate that we're doing this because, of course, she is Meryl Streep, Miami's answer to Meryl, Meryl Streep, Streep. Yes. even though she sucks so badly. Apparently, that in the production of Anne Frank, the audience was yelling that she's in the attic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what we see of Phyllis Hamero suggests she's not that great of an actress. Yes. She draws her lines even more than Blanche does. Oh, it takes her about a minute and a half to say those words. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Um, <laughs> even Jeff, like, I mean, when we're at the actual like play, it's clear that yes, in fact. Phyllis Hammer was a terrible actress. Exactly. Even the teeth marks all over the set. <laughs> Even by the standards of community theater, yes. she's bad. <laughs> Which, admittedly, a low bar. <laughs> no offense to the community theater people. I, I appreciate all you do. But anyway. So then, of course, we come to the next sort of uh, tableau, which is mm-hmm. worth pointing out, where everything comes to a different crisis whenever all three women are in the house at the same time and Patrick is romancing them all mm-hmm. in turn. Mm-hmm. Not realizing until now that they've all lived together, which works so well. Mm-hmm. Like, it would work as a great as a slapstick comedy or like a screwball comedy. Yeah, but yes. Like, it's right up, but it works so well because it's such a condensed scene. It's only mm-hmm. one scene, but it's like a entire screwball comedy from the 30s just in one, like, what, five minute scene, if yeah, that? Exactly, because we've got the people entering and exiting at very convenient times or very inconvenient times for the narrative. We've got the physical comedy, him, like, throwing Blanche to the floor. <laughs> Running into, you know, also dropping, you know, Dorothy onto the floor. Like, right. And, <laughs> and then you know oh kiss me rose like i mean it's just it's sublime like it's truly sublime how well they're able to capture what makes screwball comedies so funny mm-hmm. as you say the movement of bodies the way you know first rose is, first dorothy's coming in then rose is coming in but then mm-hmm. blanche is going out and mm-hmm. then and then dorothy is going out to get contact solution like the whole thing just really is a riot of movement exactly and that's where i do want to do something that i do in my class actually with this episode as well in addition to talking about sort of blocking and acting choices and all that. I also use this episode to talk about the use of set design because this is where they're really using that living room set design to full effect because uh, one thing about the Golden Girls living room set which shows up in almost every episode is it has a lot of entry and exit points for characters right. because you have the front on, on the left side of, for the audience or so stage right audience left you have the front door to the house mm-hmm. but also on the left-ish side you have the entry way out to the lanai mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's also a sort of a back area that goes to their backyard that's visible from the front there's also then from to the right of there there's the hallway that leads back to where their bedrooms are and then to the right of that there's the door to the kitchen so there are all of these different ways that people can come in and out and that's really important for a scene like this where there need to be lots of convenient entrances and exits there need to be for the purposes of narrative reasons for people to be doing that the fact that there are so many different places that people can be going creates great sort of narrative excuses for this comedic stuff so it isn't just funny it's funny and it makes sense Mm mm-hmm yeah, so I mean, and it's also just revealing like something that may have been in the back of our heads, but we don't realize till this moment 
is that none of them knew that he they obviously didn't know that they were having an affair, but he also didn't know that they knew each other. Yeah, exactly. So like that's because what makes he just it work met so brilliant. The theater, <laughs> right? So he would have had no reason to know, mm-hmm. although we know. So it's a nice little bit of use of dramatic irony too that we understand something the, the characters don't until you know rather late in the whole thing. Yeah. And we know that that's going to be set up because of the way that he asks them out. Because after the auditions are over and everyone scatters, uh, we start with Rose, who we didn't get to see audition, is the first one that he asks out. So that's how we kind of move the plot along. She's left out of the auditions you know from the vantage point of the audience but she's the one that kicks off this weird crossed romance plot because he asks her out first and then she leaves and just as she's leaving from the theater Blanche walks right back in through a different way so they don't cross paths and then he stops Blanche and ends up asking her out and then she exits back into the theater Dorothy comes looking for the rest of them but comes in through yet another way so that there's a reason why they don't cross paths and then because it's the third time he asks her out too, but he just sort of cuts right to the chase <laughs> and does it with a joke. <laughs> because throughout that joke, there's the recurring thing about reading People magazine. <laughs> right. So, I mean, Patrick Vaughn in universe is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. So naturally, you know, we get to the mo- opening night where all the where all of this comes crashing down because Rose and Blanche first realize that they've been seeing like they've been seeing the same person. Mm-hmm. Like Patrick's been basically two timing them both. And what I love is that it's revealed right before the show. Yep. As soon as they figure out that they've both been seeing each other, the stage manager yells for places. Yep. So there's no time to for them to talk or work any of this out. They gotta get out for the show. <laughs> yep. And so of course, you know, there's all, there's so many other genuinely f- enormously funny moments, whether it's <laughs> Where there's Blanche saying, your drop bag. Mm-hmm. Or, that's a sack of cold chestnuts, mister. Yes. Like, there are so many quotable lines. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just us and being a gay men that use these lines in everyday life. But. Exactly. So let's go back and talk about this. Because the way all of these lines are introduced, is so wonderful. Because, again, remember, this is all happening during the context of a live play that is happening. <laughs> and so we have... As the show begins, Biff, <laughs> the character from the in-universe play, sort of starts us off and then that opens up onto a scene of the townspeople. And so Rose and Dorothy, dressed as townspeople, come out and sit at a picnic table. And of course, in, if, if this were a real play, this would be a point where, as a character on stage, you would have to like mime conversation right. and do all that kind of stuff. So instead of miming conversation, they actually just have their fight over Patrick <laughs> while they're out on stage. And of course, Course, they're then joined by Dorothy, who at the last minute has been cast as the sheriff. <laughs> a lovely bit of gender play and androgyny. Exactly. Again, yet another one of those times where Dorothy gets to be a big, ugly man. <laughs> so she comes. Thankfully, not, not with a limp. Exactly. But she comes out dressed as the sheriff because she actually has a, an actual part and not isn't just a townsperson. But she comes out and is part of this scene and ends up after she has her interaction with the other main characters. She's kind of fades to the background and makes her way over to where Dorothy and Rose are (laughs) and ends up discovering that they've been seeing Patrick too. And it's just, everything about their confrontation is hilarious Mm -hmm. where she's like, again, the sack of cold chestnuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, who says sack of cold chestnuts? Because what I love is that during the beginning of this fight, of course, Blanche is the first one to have an outburst because it's Blanche. She's the most sort of 
tempestuous of the characters. So she's the one that sort of blurts out, you're a dirtbag, when she finds out. And of course, Dorothy is then like, be quiet. He's given a performance. This is a play. You gotta be quiet. <laughs> and then when she finds out why Rose or, Dorothy, or Blanche is so upset, then Dorothy yells out, you're a dirtbag too. But then they go back to remembering they're in a play. Right. So there is this sort of, at first, this tension between the, the sort of desire to... to to speak your outrage with the desire to be professional right. and keep quiet and let the show go on before that finally breaks down and they're like, screw it. <laughs> we're not keeping it. We're not holding this back anymore. We're just going to confront that. I'll tell you what time it is, though. It's time for a hanging. <laughs> Someone bring me a rope and a tree from props. <laughs> exactly. But, but what's hilarious about this, of course, is that the audience thinks this is all just part of the play. Exactly, because it's all just happening on stage. Right. So. So, and of course, you know, if you're not even, you know, most people go to a play not having no anything about it. Like and of you, course, and this was before the internet. Right. So, so you know, <laughs> even if you, you could just know the general plot line, but of course people make changes to the plot mm-hmm. anyway. So even it's not... they're not supposed to. <laughs> well, sure, you're not supposed to, but you know, it's, I mean, it is a melodrama, so it's not completely out of the realm of, poss- mm-hmm. of, of the plausible. Yeah. And of course, props to Phyllis. She may not be a great actress, but she does ke- keep the ball in character enough to take a bow. Exactly. Like, she's, she's got the stage presence enough to know that after this ridiculous fight, where again, all pretenses dropped, and what Blanche just starts out, you know, hurling all kinds of invectives at this guy, gets all the, the ladies riled up because when they finally explain why they're so upset, it's revealed that Patrick hasn't just been dating the three main girls. He's been with literally every woman in the show. And possibly Ed. <laughs> I'm saying no to that. Ed's a damn lie. And my head can. <laughs> and so, of course, now the entire cast has turned on him at this point. <laughs> So, of course, he flees, and we don't hear from Patrick again. And then, of course, the audience starts to applaud what they think is just this melodramatic moment in the scene, and that's when Phyllis Hamero <laughs> reaches out for one of the other girl's hands and to take a bow <laughs> like they're doing a curtain call. It is so wonderful. Aaron is literally reenacting this with me as we speak. He's grabbing my hand. <laughs> but anyway. Truly, truly wonderful staging Absolutely. for that. And so the, the, the sort of... Gr- after that sort of peak of excitement, we sort of segue to the ending where they kind of realize that for all of his mendacity, they actually did enjoy their time mm-hmm. with Patrick. Yes, and what I love about the way that they reveal that enjoyment, despite him being a dog, that they still had a good time and that they got something out of it because each of the characters then gets to reveal something about their character that's actually important to each of that character and how they exist in the universe of this show. Yep. That's what I, it's not just a nice, fun, cute moment. It's something that's actually revealing. Yep, because... Dorothy says he made me feel beautiful. beautiful. Which we know that for Dorothy, that's her insecurity. Like, she, no, she's like, I know I'm not as pretty as all the other girls. And that's been her lifelong thing. <laughs> and so the fact that he made her feel beautiful is kind of important to her. And then Blanche says he made me feel young. And we know that with Blanche, it's the fear of getting older is her big insecurity. That's the thing that keeps her up at night. Right. And most revealing is that Rose says he made her feel smart. We don't really hear a lot from Rose about her intellectual insecurities, but mm-hmm. this is really a kind of touching and sweet moment to which Dorothy then mm-hmm. says, God, what an actor. And what I love about that is that it gets her sarcasm in. But also, again, it's the way to break the rule of threes. We do it three times, but the third time has to be different. Right. And so whereas for the first two, when uh, Dorothy and Blanche say their thing, that's for the audience to take sincerely. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a joke the third time. Right. And of course, there is also the moment where Dorothy says to, you know, when 
they're explaining when Dorothy is exclaiming about how she feels so humiliated, and then you know Rose says, "Well, they got the audience was a good sport. They got their money back." She says, "That's not what I'm talking about, you titmouse." <laughs> like, I love again as with the like what Rose horses. Like it doesn't make any sense because of course a titmouse is a species of bird. In case you didn't know. It doesn't make well, any it's calling sense. Her a bird brain. Well, I know, but it's like it doesn't make. If you don't know what a titmouse is, it just sounds funny. <laughs> and that's what I love about so much of the humor in the show. And, and remembering that you know we watched the show as little kids, right? That of course we didn't get everything in an episode back then. There's no way we could have back right. then. We were, we were truly little kids. But there's stuff in there for everybody. Right. <laughs> then that it's still funny even if you don't get it. That's kind of the, the brilliance of the writers mm-hmm. of this show is that they knew how to make so many of their jokes multi-layered. So that if you were just like me, literally like a six-year-old kid when this episode originally aired, it was funny to me then, even though I didn't get it. Yep. And as an adult who gets it now, it's funny in a different way. Absolutely. Well, that seems like a good place to call quits for tonight. As much as I'd rather talk about the actor for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. but alas, we only have so much time. True. So, for this week's episode of The OK Petunias, I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.